flip your bulletins back over, and we are in uh, the second week of a sermon series called Protect This House. At all three of our campuses, as I taught you last week, you don't say uh, protect this house, but you have to say it like the mean football player on the Under Armour commercial from a few years back. So when I say we will, you have to say it like protect this house, like that. You ready? So we're going to practice that just to wake you up. Ready? And if your neighbor doesn't do it, just get your, your fist ready like this, just make a fist. And if they don't do it, you just hit, hit them like this, okay? So I'm going to say we will. If they miss their cue, you just hit them. And it, it's, you, have, you have the freedom. Unless they're a girl, you're not allowed to do that. But if it's a, just, you know, just hit them. It's Mother's Day. You can do whatever you want, women. And so anyway, you ready? All through our campuses, we will. Man, you guys, listen, I told you last week I like you so much better than first service. Don't tell them. You guys are so much louder than first service. No offense if you're watching this again. We love you too. But no, we, you guys are better than first service at all three of our campuses. We will protect this house. Satan hates Journey Church, and Satan wants to do everything that he can to discourage us for accomplish, from accomplishing what we're called to accomplish, which is reaching people far from Christ. So the more that we focus on reaching people far from Christ, the more attacks that are going to come against our church from the inside and from the outside. So last week, we talked about the, the attack maybe from the inside and the outside uh, of what I would call wolves or dogs. We will protect this house from dogs. Many of you came away asking, are you uh, a wolf or a dog? Chances are, if you're still here, you're not. So calm down. We're, we're all in this together, and we're going to keep we're going to keep going. And so we're going to protect this house uh, from dogs. Today, uh, the topic is another D. We're going to protect this house from dilution. Some of you say, what the heck does that mean? Dilution, by definition, simply means the action of making something weaker in force, content, or value. Or, or the, act, the action of one substance, meaning another substance, and both substances getting ruined. Let me give you an example uh, of that. I know you don't want to think about it being cold because it's just now starting to get hot, but every year between Thanksgiving and, and, and Christmas, we have a few family traditions in our, in our household. One of them we started a few years ago is where we drink hot cocoa because you have to have hot cocoa, and we watch Christmas movies. Anybody else ever been a part of I me? Mean, you watch the, the, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the Frosty and the Charlie Bounce Christmas and every other Christmas movie that, that comes on and Santa Paws and Santa Paws 1. If you have a kid, you know that Santa Paws 16 now. Like you, you been, You're with me? Every Disney movie you can think of is so right around Thanksgiving, we go to Target, Walmart, something like that, and we buy them a, a Christmas cup. $7.99, it lasts for four weeks, it's a great deal, and so uh, they get a Christmas cup, and they get Christmas uh, PJs, and we, every night that we can, we, we settle down for the night, and we make hot cocoa, and we sit in our pajamas, and, and we, drink, we drink hot chocolate, we watch a movie, and, and so we'll make the hot chocolate, and then my wife puts in um, uh, marshmallow fluff, because you, you, don't, you don't make hot chocolate with the little stale, uh, pre-mixed marshmallows, you know what I'm saying, like, that's nasty, no one pays for that. You put the marshmallow fluff, and you take the marshmallow fluff out, you stick it in, you know how it gets stuck to your spoon, and so there's no other option but for you to lick it like a horse off of there, because that's the only way, you know, to get it clean. It's justifiably, you know, gluttonous. And so anyway, so we'll get hot chocolate, and my kids, because they're young, they want to drink it instantly. You ever have a kid try to drink something hot, they, they flip out, right? Like, they, they freak out. So they don't like hot stuff, so what they'll do is they'll take the cups, because they don't want to wait for it to cool down, they'd rather take it to, the, to the, the ice dispenser, and they push it on the ice dispenser, and ice comes out into their cup, and it melts in the hot chocolate, essentially turning what was once glorious hot cocoa with marshmallow fluff on top of it into, into watered-down chocolate garbage, right? Like, that's the way it tastes. But... They can drink it really quickly, so they would rather sacrifice the chocolatey goodness at the expense of the quick ability to drink their hot cocoa. I know they have issues. 
One substance meets the other substance, and it ruins both substances. And I started thinking about church and kind of the culture we live in, and I started thinking to myself, isn't that the exact way we do it? We, we have to protect our house from dilution. What I mean is, when, when culture and, and church collide, that, that culture doesn't influence the church, but it, but it goes the other way where, where church influences the culture. You see, we, we live in a time in America, I'm not going to surprise you with this, but, but the way most people live is a lot different than the way God asks you to live or commands you to live. Just so you know, the, 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 the morals that we have, the, the, the ideals that we live with, the decisions that we make, many times are different than, than what God's best is for us. And what ends up happening in church is instead of us just boldly standing up and saying, you know what, we're going to preach the gospel, instead we water it down and we essentially feed somebody biblical garbage. We feed them, them half-truth, not wanting to, to offend them. We do things like entertain and woo at the expense of not wanting to make anybody feel uncomfortable. So culture and, and church collide, and instead of Jesus kind of pushing his way through culture and changing people, we allow culture to, to affect us. I don't know if you can see this today, but just to give you an example of that, I have new shoes on. They're only a couple weeks old, and my feet are kind of fat, and my toes are, they look like fingers. I don't know if you've ever... Now, I would put them on the screen right now, but, but literally if I try to lift my leg up, I'd pull groin. And so I'm not going to do that right now. But I was wearing these shoes today, and I was getting ready uh, to come up on stage, and I looked down as I was getting a drink. And my, my pinky toe, which is kind of gnarly, ripped through the side of my, my shoe. I have a hole in the side of my shoe. You can't see it. I can't reach my leg that high. Hold on, let me. Uh, nope. It ripped, literally, ripped a hole through my, my boots, and now, so, listen, my foot met, met the leather, and my foot won the battle with the leather, like, that's what I'm talking about, literally, every time I'm like, thank you God for this illustration, I'm going to call Amazon and get my money back, right, when church and culture collide, we have to be careful that we protect ourselves from diluting the message, in, in the attempts to, 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 to attract a crowd, well, at the altar of not building a church. You can attract a crowd and not have a church. And let me say this too. Some of you are saying, I've been saying this about Journey Church forever. You guys have been watering down the message forever. Watering down has nothing to do with style. It has to do with substance. It's not a style thing. It's not, hey, you're not singing hymnals and you're not wearing a dress up here and you're not speaking in a language nobody understands and you're not reading the King James Version, so you're watering it down. It has nothing to do with watering it down. That has nothing to do with diluting the message. It's a, it's a substance thing. Are we preaching about Jesus? Are we unashamed of the gospel of Christ? Do we talk about sin and hell? You see, in attempts to make hell a lot less hot, we've made the cross a lot less powerful. Here's what you need to understand about Journey Church. This is very key. I want you to remember this when you leave today. Journey Church, ready, is not a politically correct group. You ready for this? We are a biblic biblically correct church. Journey Church is not a politically correct group. We are a politically correct church. When culture and Journey Church collide, Journey Church is called to affect culture and not have culture affect Journey Church. We're going go to go to a, a Bible a book today called, called Corinthians, and if, if you've ever read through the Bible, you'll, you'll understand that, that 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is kind of Jesus and him doing his miracles and building, building his platform and, and going to die on the cross. And then he leaves and, and dies and he goes back to heaven. And the book of Acts is about the, the church, the early church kind of spreading the, the gospel and taking it everywhere. And then the rest of the Bible, uh, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Thessalonians, all the way to the end of Revelation is essentially uh, what happened in the book of Acts, kind of insight to it. They started all these churches. It was them going back and saying, okay, there's things we need to protect this house from. There's things we need to look out for. So the church in, in Corinth was started just in a culture that was very similar to America. Corinth was actually a destination city. So if, we, if we're going to relate it, we're going to call it Las Vegas. We're going to call it Atlantic City in the 70s, right? Nobody goes to Atlantic City anymore. But, but, but Atlantic City, back when Atlantic City was happening, or, 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 or Las Vegas, it was a place you went to, to do things you wouldn't normally do in your, in your home. It was a place where they would have said, what happens in, in Corinth stays in Corinth, like it was, it was that kind of place, and so it attracted sailors and, and, and merchants, and they would kind of go through the city, and they would look to do things they wouldn't normally do, that there was a temple in Corinth uh, to, the, to the goddess of Aphrodite, and in the temple was a thousand prostitutes where you would go, and you would worship the goddess of Aphrodite by having sex, man or woman, with these, these prostitutes, it was that type of city, in fact, if a Corinthian, which is the, the name for the people that lived there, if they were ever displayed in a play, they were displayed as a drunk. Like they had, this place had a reputation for being flawed morally, for, for having, for having and an, an reputation for partying, for having a reputation for what happens there stays there. So Paul decides to start a church there because that's exactly where you should put a church. Church wasn't called to be, to be a bubble somewhere protected from, from the world. Church was called to go to places like Reading and, and Phoenixville and, and Philadelphia and everywhere. And if it's bad, then the church should go there and make it good. So Paul starts a church here in the hopes that they would begin to affect this, this culture. They needed a change, obviously. And they started a church, and the, the problem with the church is they were, they were drawing a crowd. They weren't, they weren't building a church. And actually, they weren't really facing any persecution. Everybody kind of liked this church. They were, they were getting people that would kind of go to the temple and have sex with the prostitutes and then come to the church. And it was such a comfortable message that they were preaching that they were, they were really kind of growing. And they were kind of beginning to pat themselves on the back. And they were impressed with them. And so Paul writes a letter to them saying, no, absolutely not. Just so you kind of know the spiritual thermometer, what was happening there. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul writes of a situation that has arisen in the church. And the situation was a young man was sleeping with his stepmom. And they were excited about it. Like it wasn't like a secret. It was, this, is like, this is Jerry Springer stuff, y'all. This is Maury Povich right here. Who's the baby daddy? You are. Oh, my God. Like this, that. Like this is, I thought this, this, this is your son's kid. Like this is bad stuff. And the church says, the, the, the letter says the church is excited about it. They're like, hey man, this is awesome. We're growing. We're overlooking this stuff. This is really exciting. And so Paul writes to a church that's being affected by culture and not the other way around. A church that's diluting the message to draw a crowd instead of building a church. A church that's trying to make hot, hell less hot. And taking the power of the gospel in a church that's politically correct and not biblically sound. And this is what he says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 18. And you have to remember this in, in our culture. He says this, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. That's one of the most profound statements I've ever, I've ever read in the Bible. What we do here and what we celebrate here is going to seem weird to everybody else that doesn't know what's going on here. 
You ever try to explain what you're doing? I mean, telling somebody you go to church, that's pretty explainable. I get it. You're going to church. You're being religious, trying to make yourself better. You ever try to explain to them the actual gospel? I'm not good. Man, I'm jacked up. And guess what? So are you. You judging me? You're intolerant of me. This is not politically correct. You go to church, you must think you're better than me. No, I really don't. I think Jesus is better than you. I think Jesus is so good he died on the cross for your sins. You're telling me I'm a sinner? The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Watch this. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the, intelligent of the, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Isn't that true of our culture? Where is the wise person, he says? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Stop it. Don't you see that in our culture? We are so enlightened. We've evolved. Truth has changed. We're more tolerant. We're more loving, yet we have more addicts. We have more divorce. We have, we have more problems. We've walked away from the things of God thinking that that it's in us, we'll find, we'll find wisdom. I talk to more people who don't have any idea why they should wake up the next day. I talk to more people who are suicidal, yet we, we, are, we are enlightened. We have, we have more freedom than we've ever had. Marriage has changed, right? We have more freedom to choose to do things with our own body that we maybe shouldn't be doing. We all things, and the Bible is clear. He says the, the, what, the wisdom of this world is, is foolish. Where are the intelligent people? Where are the people that actually are giving and making themselves have what they claim to be doing? He keeps going. He says this. This is what we preach in verse 23. Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. When it seems like culture is smarter then God, there needs to be a church who realizes that God is the creator of everything that happens on this earth. He's the one that makes the world spin. He's the one that set this, this planet in motion, and he knows exactly how things are supposed to work. And when, when, when culture contradicts God, then, then we need to stick with, with God and let culture wander away from God. We, we don't need to stick with, with culture and allow them to affect our church. So here's a couple things I think happens in a church that begins to be diluted. A couple questions that people start to ask, that, that, that just make us feel better about kind of being diluted. Number one is this, I think people start saying stuff like, like, what is truth, really? What, what is truth? You know, there was a time in an in, in, in age where, I'm, I, and listen, if you're not a believer in this place, I, I'm not really talking to you today. You can listen, uh, but, but I'm, not, I'm not talking at you. Uh, I'm talking to the, to the church people in this place. There was a time when the majority of church people, people that would claim to have faith in Christ, would say there's absolute truth. There, there's a truth, like there's, there's, a, there's a way to do stuff, there's a person to follow, there, there's, there's wisdom to abide by, there, there's a right and a wrong way to do things. You know now that 91% of evangelical people will say this, there is no absolute truth. There, there, is, there is no truth, there, there, there is only this, you ready? There is relative truth, relative truth, you ready? Relative truth is, is truth keeps evolving, and then there's subjectivism, which is truth keeps evolving based on the person or the subject that decides it's truth, and that person is me. I decide what's best for me at the time that I want to do it, and listen, I don't want to be judgmental and say that my truth is everybody else's truth. And so there is no truth. 
Paul in Romans 1, because this isn't a new problem. This is a problem that's existed for the world. In Romans 1, Paul says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people, watch this, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. For, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Though they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Let me say, that sounds weird. That sounds like, like old-fashioned stuff. Do you know that we all worship something? We, we all are looking to something. I mean, if you don't think you worship something and you believe I don't worship anything, you go to the beach, you worship the sun. It make you happy. Anything that you think is going to make you happy is where you worship. In a couple months here, there's going to be 70,000 worshipers on eight Sundays of the fall watching our birds singing our, our hymnals, fly eagles fly, and making a joyful noise as we destroy the cowboys, right? Or the convicts, I don't know what their name is now. Like there is, there is no, there is no truth. Truth is relative to me, I'm the subject that determines truth, and, and, and so it just keeps evolving. There, there, there was a time, just so you know, and, and none of this is judgmental, and sometimes some, some of these things happen after uh, or, or you come to Christ, and before your prior life, you were, you were guilty of some of these things, and that's okay, because the Bible says we're all guilty of something, but there was a time that after people came to Christ, that, that things like divorce were looked down upon. Like, people stayed, they got saved, and then they, they got married, if they were living with their girlfriend or boyfriend, they got married, or if they were married, they, they just stuck it out, and they didn't make unwise decisions, which I'm not happy with this person anymore, they've gained 25 pounds, their morning breath won't go away, I need to upgrade. I've leased them for long enough, and the miles has gone over. That's how we treat people. Like, there was a time... When people in the church actually believed that marriage was defined by what Jesus said it was defined by. There was a time. Like I know truth has evolved and marriage is kind of whatever we want to call it. It can be a man and a, and a man or a woman and a woman. Or someday it might be, you know, a man and, and three women. Or it might be all these things. And I, I get that, that marriage has evolved. But there was a time when the people of the church said, no, marriage was designed by God. And he has the final say over it. And marriage is between one woman and one man. Like there was a time when that was just truth. There was a time when things like murder were wrong. Like there, sometimes it's still wrong. It's still wrong when, when a young man loses his life in Baltimore. That's wrong. It, it's still wrong when, when, when a cop gets shot when he's sitting in his, in his cop car. It's still wrong. Like that's wrong, but it's also relative because sometimes it's not wrong when the baby hasn't yet been placed in this world and he's still in the mother's womb. Like if, if, if that... If that is, 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 listen, I'm there, I don't, really, I don't really know what to do with this child, so I'm just going to disperse of this thing. Like, there, was a, there was a time in history, and, and hear me again, if you're here and you've made that decision, I'm sure today is, is hard because I've talked to women that have had abortions, and these kind of days are hard. You need to understand two things. Number one, the grace of God is in this place. Number two, I believe your child is with, with Jesus in heaven. And number three, you can be there as well, and you can see them for all eternity. I'm not judging you at all, but there was a time where, where church people said, that's just... That's just wrong. And now we've kind of evolved with culture because culture is saying, you know, there's no truth. There's no, there's no absolute rights. There's no absolute this way to do it. And so, so just kind of, let's just kind of go with it. And let's just kind of do what we want. And let's just let everybody kind of determine what they want to do. And here's the problem. That is a contradiction because if there is no absolute truth, there is no absolute wrong. It's a silly thing. 
Some of you say, oh, that's fine, let's not, okay, let, 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 let's just break this down for you. Let's say you are a father of a daughter, she's 12 years old. You have protected your daughter, you've nurtured your daughter, you've protected what people say about her, what people believe about her, what, what's spoken over her, and you are raising this daughter in the safety of your home, but your neighbor, two doors down, he was molested when he was a young child, and he's never found healing through Christ, and so now he's looking at pornography every day, and he's looking at pornography, and it's never being quenched, because listen, you're developing an appetite for something that will never go out. And his pornographic addiction has begun to lead him, lead, lead him to, do, to do real physical acts, to begin to look at the opposite sex as a piece of meat, because that's what pornography is. And one day your young 12-year-old is playing out in the yard, and you take your eye off her, and your, your neighbor who has been looking at pornography and has developed a, 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 a thirst or an appetite for, for a young female, because that's where that leads. He comes and gets your daughter, and he brings his, your daughter to his house, and he rapes your daughter. And you try to stand on, there's no absolute truth. And he looks at you and says, there's no absolute wrong either because this was right for me in the moment because it was what was going to make me feel better about myself. And some of you say, that's a little bit, that's a little bit of a ridiculous story. I say when we say there's no absolute truth that we're a little bit ridiculous. I say we say things so that we can get, get away with things. Instead of just being truthful with ourselves, that the word of God, the Bible says, is, is true. Every word is inspired by God, and it doesn't change. In fact, one, one definition of the Bible, if you've gone to Bible school, is it's simply called the measuring rod. In other words, we can measure our life against these scriptures, and if we don't measure up, we should change our life and not the other way around. This is a really truth. See, it's a slippery slope, because then it goes to the next question that church people begin to ask themselves, and I think this is maybe, maybe something we've all asked, is, is it? Isn't just being sincere really the most important thing? Like in, in a whole, isn't it really just about being sincere? Like don't all religions lead to the same thing? Isn't it really just about being a good person? They ask people, they ask Christians, what, 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 meet, what is the, the level, what is the, the steps you need to take to get into heaven? You know 53% of Christians that sit in church, they said be a good person. That is not what we believe just so you know. If you're in this place, or you're in Limerick, or you're in Plymouth Meeting, or you're watching online, this place is not filled with one good person. I don't mean to judge you, but you are all jacked up. Everybody on this side of the line, we all are jacked up. There's not one good person here. The only thing we celebrate is a great God. Good people just go to heaven as long as they're sincere. That's, that's such a contradiction, too. As long as you're sincere, that's all that's important until you're dealing with Hitler or ISIS or the Baptist church that pickets the funerals that the, the military soldiers that have died protecting our country. Like, they're sincere, but they're idiots. Like, it's not just about being sincere. It's not just about believing in what we believe. And sometimes people will say stuff like, like, don't all religions just ultimately lead to the same place? They all just about the same thing. And, and I would admit to you that all religions have some truth in them. And the truth is that most of them, whether you're Buddhist or Hindu or, or Muslim or you believe in Judaism or anything like that, they, they believe in a God. That's where the truth ends for them. And they, they, they come to this conclusion that this God is mad at us. And, and if you're in this room, you're, you're kind of you're with us there. Like, that's, that's the understanding we come to. Like, the wages of sin is, is death. Like, he could have turned his back on us. 
But where everything changes is all the religions kind of go down this highway. And the highway is, okay, God's mad at us, so I'm going to just kind of keep looking back and making sure I'm doing enough good to make him happy with me. And when I die, hopefully if I was a good enough person, if my good outweighed my bad, then God will take me back. But we're driving and all of a sudden we stop and we get off that, that slippery slope and we realize that Jesus is so good. That we're not working, that I'm not going to be in heaven someday because of all the good that I've accomplished, because of all the righteous acts that I've done. The Bible says I don't do one righteous act, not even one. That even the best that I accomplish is a filthy rag in the sight of a holy God. I don't get to heaven because I'm good. I get to heaven because Jesus was good. And I'm not sincere because of what I do or what I accomplish, but I am sincere in the belief in Christ that he is the truth. You see, truth is not a what, truth is a who, and his name is Jesus. And he's very clear in the book of John that the way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father except through me. That he's full of truth, and he's full of grace. That's what John 1 says. It says, Moses brought the law. And Jesus brought grace, and he brought truth. In other words, he loves us enough to tell us how bad it is, and then he loves us enough to become what was bad with us so that we could become the righteousness of God. And it's not just about being sincere. And the last, the last thing I think we begin to do is, is we say stuff like this. Ultimately, isn't it really just about being happy in this life? Isn't it really about my friends and me being happy? Isn't it really about me just being happy? Happiness is a, is a horrible, horrible goal for your life, just so you know. Happiness is a moving target. Today I'm happy with my shirt that I picked out. But I'm quite... I know that someday I'm going to look back with regret and I'm going to say, why did you ever wear... Anybody ever do that? Like, you're, you're like, every time you look, whether it's three or four years down the road, you look and you go, man, back then you're like, I was so in style. And then you get three years in a row and you're like, why did I, why are my jeans that baggy? And then it'll be, why are my jeans that, that tight? Right? Happiness is a moving target. See, see what happens when, 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 when happiness is what your life's about is without a belief in absolute truth, truth is defined by whatever makes you happy in the moment. Whatever makes you happy has to be right. Since God wants you to be happy, anything that doesn't make you happy must be bad. That, that's what ends up happening. And ultimately, discomfort, delay, risk, suffering, inconveniences, and obstacles, they can't be God's will because God is for your, your happiness. Can I stop you for a second? God is for his glory. He's for his glory, and for some reason, he has included you and me in on his plan. He's for his glory. So you know you're following God's path when he's working his glory through your life. When he's using your talent, your gifts, your abilities, your time to accomplish good things for his kingdom. What ends up happening to too many churches and too many Christians is, is we just want to be happy. So whatever makes us happy in the moment becomes the most important thing. Can I tell you something? Happiness is the greatest enemy to you living out God's purposes for your life. It will keep you from God's purposes. It will help you make a decision that will affect your life forever. It will help you make a decision that will, will change the course of history. doesn't mean God's grace is not enough for you, but sometimes you have to live with the consequence of a stupid decision. And when you seek happiness, you walk that path. I started thinking about this week, because this week we had, 
the opportunity to do a funeral. And I say a an opportunity, but it wasn't a fun one. We, we, you know that, that Lauren Laird, she passed away, and we, we, we had to do her funeral, and, and we stood before, I think there was close to 750, 800 people there. I mean, a huge crowd of people. I've never been to a funeral like that before in my life. We had church, basically. And as I was standing up there, I just felt like God said, it's, it's time to stop wasting time. It's time to, it's time to get really serious what we're doing. And, and the thing is because when somebody loses their life and they're 26 and their heart just blows up in their chest pretty much, never knowing that she had that, that, that heart defect, she was healthy, she was running, she was eating right, and she just stopped. It just, just jolts you to say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not living. I'm, no, nobody's blood that I ever talked to is going to be on my hands. See, what we end up doing in, in church too many times is because we, we don't want to stick to truth, because we're afraid of people. That's it. You're afraid of being weird. You're afraid of offending your friends. When you should be afraid of where they're going. You should be afraid of what's going to happen to them. You should be afraid because you believe in truth. If you follow Christ, you believe he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one, not me, not you, not them, gets to the Father except through him. That he's full of grace and he's full of truth. That your friend has spiritual cancer, and he's the only one that can heal it. And instead of wanting to offend them and wanting to be weird, I believe many of us live our life with our friend's blood on our hands. You're with your friends when they do things that maybe you wouldn't do. You go to the bars with them. You go watch movies with them that you shouldn't watch. You talk about things you shouldn't talk about. You joke about things you shouldn't joke about. And you do so because you're like the Church of Corinth, which says, you know what? I don't want to really offend anyone, and I don't want to stick to truth, and I just, I just, it isn't okay for everybody to just sincere, and ultimately, I just want my friends to be happy. And the truth is, it's because you don't understand the disease your friends have. Do you know the Bible says that sin grows in your friend's life, and it brings death? That's what it says. Sin grows in your friend's life, and it brings death. And, and you sit back idly. As a church, we sit back idly as culture kind of walks towards death, and we sit back and we go, we don't have the boldness and the courage to stand on truth because we're going to afraid, be afraid somebody rejects us. And just so you know what Jesus says in John 15, he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Watch this. This, this, this is going to be jolting for some of you. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. I want you to think about that statement for a second. If you have a bunch of friends outside of church, and I, listen, I'm certainly not advocating you go around with all of the abominations in the Bible, the sins, all that stuff, and wearing a shirt around and basically uh, alienating yourself from your neighbors and your friends. I'm not talking about that. That's not what I mean. But, but, but if your faith is so weak that it doesn't jolt your friends, that they can, they can be in sin right around you, that they can walk away from God towards death right around you, then, then maybe it's because you're a friend of the world and not Jesus. It doesn't get any clearer. If the world hates you, you're close to me. If people leave you, if people persecute you, if people think you're weird, it probably means you're on the right track. If everybody is kind of all right with you and you go to church and they do their own thing and they're kind of, we're all kind of happy together and we're all hanging out and we're going to parties and celebrating all these things, and, but I'm a Christian and listen, it doesn't really matter what they believe, you're probably a friend of the world. Because how could you stand there with them and know that sin is growing in their life and bringing death and not say something at the altar of, of not wanting to offend them or be considered weird? Just so you know, the blood of their life is on your hands. You don't save them. But the Bible says, how can they know if somebody doesn't tell them? 
How will they ever hear if you don't open up your mouth? See, there is truth. It's not just about being sincere. That's the good news with, with your friends, with you right now. It's not about being sincere, and it's not about being a good person. It's about putting your full faith in the way, the truth, and the life. And his name is Jesus. And he came for anyone at any moment, in any situation, with any pain. No matter what you brought into this place, he is here for you right now. But listen, I am not here so that I can get you happier. I'm not here so that you leave this place going, oh, I feel much better about where my life is. I'm here to allow Jesus to touch your heart. But he comes into your heart. He's going to do massive surgery. He's going to cut things out. He's going to readjust your priorities. He's going to set you on a new purpose. And listen, it's not always going to feel good, but it's ultimately going to be for your good, for his glory. And he will change your life if you allow him. See, there's people in this place that this might be the last time that you ever come to this church. And I'm pleading with you, pleading with you. Make this the day that you allow Jesus to change your life forever. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you'll be saved. That everybody from this line back, and actually the line just went back a little farther because Chris is back there. <laughs> that all of us at Plymouth Meeting in Limerick, that we are all in the same boat. That the only difference between maybe me and maybe you is that I put my full trust in Jesus Christ. And I believe he's the truth. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it has the power to change a sinner's life forever. Would you stand with me all over our houses? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? On this beautiful Mother's Day. I wonder if you're ready to stand on the truth, church. I wonder if we're ready to collide with culture. And instead of trying to blend in, instead of looking the same, Instead of our faith being weakened, that we collide with culture and through the power and the boldness of the Holy Spirit that we begin to change this world forever. That just, so you, just so you know, that's why we're here. That's why Journey Church exists. We come to set a city on fire, to change people's lives forever. We come because people are sick and lost and broken. And we come to set their life in a different course by meeting Jesus, by bringing them Jesus and we are not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not embarrassed of what the word of God says. I'm not ashamed of not being politically correct. And I'm not worried about people telling me I'm not tolerant or I'm judgmental. All I'm worried about is at the end of my life hearing well done, good and faithful servant. This message is the, is the hope of the world. And that hope is here for you right now. The Bible was clear where two or more are gathered in Jesus name that he's here and listen we are gathered in his name there's Christians in this place that you are beginning to pray right now make me bold and start with this prayer right now as I pray for those gathered all over this campus and watching online would you make this a holy moment a moment that transcends eternity you see maybe you're in this place and you say you know what I don't understand everything that went on here today but I felt I felt something I felt the peace of God. I felt the presence of something. I feel a knock, and the Bible says that he knocks at the door of our hearts. See, you came into God's presence today, and there was a bunch of things that were true of you. A bunch of unforgiveness, a bunch of bitterness, a bunch of anger, a bunch of mistakes, maybe a bunch of shame. Maybe there's things you've walked in this place that nobody else knows about. God does. 
And the weird thing is you're not here in judgment. You've already been judged. You're already guilty. You're already hopeless. The Bible says the wages of your guilt is sin. You're already, already dead. Sin is growing and it's bringing death. But you're not here in judgment. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. All you're hearing is come home, child. I'm not worried about where you've been. And I'm not worried about what you brought into this place. I'm worried about where you're going. And trust me when I say this. What is true of you right now doesn't have to be true of you one more second of your life. You can confess with your mouth and you can believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. The message of the Bible is he died on the cross for your sins in your place. On the third day they took his lifeless body down. They put it in a rich man's tomb. And the story was supposed to be over. And maybe your story has been written and the period has been drawn and the book is about to be closed. But on the third day, the Bible says that the, the guards couldn't keep him in. The seal was broken and his disciples came to find him to anoint his body. And the angel was there and he said, he's not here anymore. He's risen from the dead just like he said that he would. That was just the beginning of Jesus' story. And can I tell you something today, friend? Today is the beginning or just the beginning of your story. Where you put a period, God puts a comma. The wages of sin is death. The comma is the but. But the gift of God is eternal life and purpose through Christ Jesus our Lord. And the Bible is clear that if you repent with your mouth and if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Not one more day. Not one more day wasted. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. Not one more moment wasted in your life. You know what you're looking for isn't found anywhere on this earth. Everything that you've been searching for is found in a person. And his name is Jesus, and he is here, and his kindness is drawing you to himself, and all you need to do is respond. I have three kids, and when they need me, they just shoot their hands up high, and that's a sign, pick me up, I need you, daddy. So I'm going to ask you to do something in all three of our campuses with our campus pastors standing in the front, just like a child that needs a dad raises their hands. They're not ashamed, and they're not embarrassed. When they're hurting, they need daddy. When they're hungry, they need daddy. When they're tired, they need daddy. Are you tired? Are you hurting? Are you hungry? Right now is your moment. God is here. If you need a relationship with Jesus in this place, don't miss it. I'm going to ask you in a second to put your hand up. I just want you to shoot your hand up. Nobody's going to be looking around. It's just going to be me and you in this place. And I want to pray with you as we close. We're going to talk to Jesus just like you talk to a friend. If you're in this place, you say, Pastor, I need a relationship with Jesus at our other campus. If you just shoot your hand up in the air like a child shoots their hands up to their, to their daddy. I see you right there. I see you right here. Does anybody else say, Pastor, that's me. I'm going to put my hand up right now. I see you over here. I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I see another hand right here. Does anybody else say, Pastor, I see a hand over here. Yes, yes, yes. Hey, church, why don't you just keep praying for them? Why don't you just keep praying for them? At our other campuses, just keep your hand up high. One more second. I'm just reaching up to my, to my father right now, just like a, a son or a daughter. I'm hungry, I'm tired, and I'm hurting. I need a Savior. Does anybody else say, Pastor, that's me. I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I couldn't get to God, so God came to me. Is anybody else? One more second. I see another hand right here. Yes, yes, yes. Would you pray with me, church? If you raise your hand, you just talk to Jesus like you're talking to a friend. It's so simple. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Savior. Forgive my sin. I know who I am, and I know who you are. Jesus, we thank you for this moment in time. This is a moment that is changing all other moments, Lord. Lord, more can happen in one moment in your presence than all the wrong, all the shame, all the hurt, all the sorrow, 
all the darkness, Lord, right now you are bringing light into our lives. And so, Lord, I thank you that the message is clear that if we believe and if we confess, we believe in you, we confess that we need a Savior and we're sinful. We know we can never pay off that sin. And so you did it for us, Jesus. You came to us so that we could get to you. So Jesus, I thank you right now that this moment is changing people's forever. It's changing the relationships they have on this earth. It's changing the direction they were walking. It's changing the purpose that they felt. It's changing the reason that they wake up in the morning. They're not living for happiness. Father, they have joy. Lord, right now the peace that surpasses all understanding is filling their life, Lord. So Lord, when life seems hopeless and when life seems like it's broken, no longer will they fear, Lord, because you're bringing peace. You're bringing hope. You're bringing freedom, Lord. When Satan reminds them of what they've done, you're gonna, he's, they're, they're going to remind Satan of all that you've done. They're no longer a sinner. They're no longer broken. They're saved. They're made whole. They're redeemed through Jesus Christ. And leave this place. The Bible says a brand new creation. That writer that wrote that was a murderer. And you changed his life and you made him a missionary. And I thank you. Today is the beginning of a testimony that you're going to work through their life for your glory to accomplish great things on this earth, Lord, and I thank you that eternity is promised. They live their life with eternity in view. It's going to drive every decision, every direction. Jesus, we love you, and when we leave this place today, Lord, Lord, our work is just beginning. It's just beginning. You continue to save people, and we know that's your job. We know we don't save anyone. Lord, your scripture is clear. How can they respond if no one goes and talks to them? So, Lord, we're going to sit with people this week. Lord, we know the truth. We know the way. We know, we know it's a who, and we know it's you, Jesus. And so we're not going to sit there in, in silence and in shame, Lord, but we have the light of the world living inside of us, Lord. And Lord, everywhere we go, we are going to influence culture, Lord. And I thank you in advance for family and friends, Lord, that through our, our tenacity and our, and our boldness, and our courage that only comes to the Holy Spirit for those that are going to be changed because we opened up our mouths, because we finally got the courage to stand up for you, Lord. And when we do become persecuted, when people do walk away from us, that just like the apostles did when they were beaten and whipped for you, that they came out rejoicing. Because we consider our privilege and our, and our honor to live for you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this beautiful day you've given us. We thank you for every mom, from the single mom to the young mom to the oldest mom. We thank you. You're going to encourage them and strengthen them. Lord, you're going to give them everything they need to do to raise up young men and young women and point them towards you, Jesus. Would you just encourage them as they leave this place? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Would you clap with me?